welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, today we're going to be interviewing Josie Tucci. She's the Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Moorings and Sunsail Yacht Charters. I've been trying to get Moorings and Sunsail Yacht Charters on the podcast for several years, and for some reason it was easy this time. I just reached out to her directly. I found her on LinkedIn and called the office and tried to talk to her, and then she responded, and she's coming on the podcast. But before we get to that interview... Let me thank my sponsor, Sailrite. Since 1969, Sailrite has been equipping you with everything you need to sew for your boat, from bimini's and boat covers to upholstery work and even sewing your own sails. Sailrite is your one-stop shop for fabric, sail and canvas kits, tools, hardware and sewing supplies. Sailrite is also the maker of the patented Ultrafeed sewing machine a portable heavy-duty machine that can handle all the sewing jobs for your boat and more. A passionate crew of DIYers, Sailrite produces high-quality, free how-to videos to empower their customers to turn their sewing dreams into a reality. Get ready for today's mailbag. I like getting emails from my friends out there. So if you have any thoughts, comments, suggestions, or questions, write me franz1 at medsailor.com or use the contact form at the website. Now for today's emails. All right, I got an email from Scott. Scott wrote, longtime listener to the podcast and have purchased your 101 and 103 audiobooks and highly recommend them. Thanks, Scott. I have a question about quick day trip ideas for Rieka, Kator, and Corfu. I'm going to the Med on a big cruise ship, September 8th to 20th. We'll be spending only a day in these locations. I know it will be impossible to see them properly, but would like to know what would be your top must-see at these places and thoughts about weather. Well, if that means you're only going for a day, not for two days, then I think you just basically stick around where you're going. Rieka, Kator, or Corfu. The town of Corfu is where you're going to go. Uh, and each of those towns will pretty much soak up an entire day for you. Now, if you're there for two days and you want to do a day trip out of the city, in Rieka, I'm not sure. That's in that's in Croatia, and I've driven from Zagreb down to Rijeka and then out to the islands when I left my boat up in one of the no- northern islands over the winter, and that's a pretty drive. You pretty much go through a whole bunch of switchbacks right out of Rijeka to get up to the high mountain plateau that'll take you into Zagreb, and that's a pretty drive. It's it's a, it's a very pretty drive if you want to do that. And there might be some national parks around there as well. Also, you are in the Istria region of Croatia, which by itself is just a gorgeous uh, area. I think they've got uh, vineyards there. You might do a vineyard tour if you have the time. And you might go on some hikes because that's a big hiking area. Lots of trails that you can take. And I haven't done any of those, but I looked on the map and I thought, wow, this would be fun to spend some time in the Istria region. So that's about all I can offer you for Rijeka. Now, Kator, again, Kator is a walled city. It's uh, on the World Heritage Site. It's beautiful. And you can pretty much wander around the little city for mm, at least a half a day. And if you have uh, a little more time after that, probably what I would do with the other half of, of the day and let me pull this up on Google Earth or Google Maps. Just a second. Here it is. There is a um, there's a national park way up above the, the town. I mean, you'll go to Kator, and it's pretty much straight up uh, just behind it to the, um, to the top of this mountain plateau. And we took a spectacular drive 
which went up to this, uh, it's called Lovsen National Park, L-O-V-C-E-N National Park. And you could do that in an afternoon, rent a car and drive up, and there's lots of switchbacks to get up because it is so steep to climb up to this beautiful, gorgeous mountain valley. And you can stop and have a drink and overlook the uh, Montenegro inland sea at that point in time as well. So that's that's probably what you could do for a half a day. If you have a full day, you might also rent a car and and we did this a couple summers ago, drive out to one of the monasteries and the monastery that we drove out to is called let me pull it up here. I just did a search for it. Ostrog, O S T R O G monastery. And if you had a full day, you could drive out there and drive back, but that's going to be a full day doing that. And this is a monastery that's built into the side of a mountain in a spectacular area. And the day we were there, it was overrun with pilgrims. Let me read what it says to you on the Internet. If you believe in miracles, you should visit the, same, the famous monastery at Ostrog, one of the most frequently visited pilgrimage sites of the Balkans, carved in steep cliffs 900 meters above sea level between Danilovgrad and Niksik. It is dedicated to St. Basil, who lived in the 17th century and whose body is enshrined in the, uh, the reliquary, which I don't know that word, never heard that word before, and kept in one of the two small cave chapels, according to the legend, St. Basil's body was found seven years after his death and had not decomposed at all. Ostrog is visited by pilgrims of all confessions, hmm. Orthodox, Catholic, and Muslims, and so forth. So we went and drove up there and uh, visited it. It was a long line to actually go see the body of St. Basil. I didn't do it. My two companions did. It was a unique experience for them uh, because they're not uh, of that faith. But it was interesting for them nonetheless. So those would be the two things I would do out of Kator. As for Corfu, Corfu is an interesting town. You can spend basically a day just wandering the streets of Corfu. Uh, If you get tired of that, you can do uh, a bit of a day trip. I tend to get tired of a place if I'm there too long. And if it were up to me, I would probably rent a car or rent a scooter and go up to one of my favorite little ports and visit that, Cassiope, K-A-S-S-I-O-P-I. Now, I once pulled into Cassiope on my boat, and it's a gorgeous little picture-perfect harbor in Greece. And uh, I rented a scooter there and just started riding around the olive areas, the olive-growing areas, and just I, I found that a lot of fun. So... I'm not an expert on Corfu because remember, I'm on my boat, so I'm pretty much going to the places I can see on the water. But again, I did rent a scooter in Cassiope, and one of the reasons I rented a scooter is I needed to take a book back to Galena Harlapsis, who had loaned me the book several years earlier when I was working on my master's degree on Greek shipping. And... uh, her family owns a resort along the northern coast there, so I rented a scooter. She wasn't there, but I took the book back and dropped it off at the front desk at the, the little hotel that her family owned. And along went on the way back. I just said, oh, let's get off the main road, the main coastal road, and get up in the mountains. And so I did, and I enjoyed it, just riding around on my scooter up in the olive-growing regions in, uh, in Corfu. Uh, So that's about all I can give you as far as suggestions on what to do as far as day trips. Now, again, if you're only in there for one day, and that's typically what these cruise lines do, they come in, they drop you off, you have a day to wander around, and then you get back on the boat and they're off to the next destination. You're not going to really have any time to do these side trips. As far as what to see in the actual cities, I can't give you any recommendations. Just wander around and find something that you think is interesting. That's what I do. All right, one other email I want to go over. I really hadn't planned on actually getting this podcast out, but I thought it was important to get this out. This is sort of a bonus podcast because I've got all the other podcasts scheduled while I'm traveling for the next two months. 
uh, already scheduled to be released on a weekly basis. But this email came in yesterday, and I wrote him back, and I said, I really can't help you, but I'm going to read it and see if anybody here has some suggestions for him. And this is from my friend Jonathan Wexler. He said, Franz, I was wondering if you or one of your podcast listeners might give me a referral for competent professional information regarding full flag EU registration and ensuring of a pleasure boat. The bureaucracy, political upheaval, and misunderstanding I'm running into has my head spinning. My boat is registered in the UK, but now must be registered out of the UK and in an EU country. VAT is not an issue, but there are a multitude of problems I'm encountering, many of them from the registration companies who seem willing to say whatever they need to in order to make a sale. Forums where people seem to make things up out of thin air. Infighting between insurers in the UK who won't insure certain countries. I've had two rejections if I flag in Portugal. Belgium may or may not register for non-resident citizens, depending on who you speak to. The list goes on. Can you or one of your listeners recommend a knowledgeable professional who can competently advise me? Thank you for your consideration, Jonathan Wexler. And um, I guess if you send it to me, I will forward it on to Jonathan. Don't know that he wants me to read his email address on the podcast. So send me, if you have any suggestions, send it to me. Franz Wan at medsailor.com. Uh, <laughs> all right. I would think Malta would be the number one place since they seem to do a lot of registration of yachts. You might check Holland. I got an email from one of our listeners in Holland, or the Netherlands, as I should probably say it, that, that uh, pointed out how inexpensive it was to ensure if it was a registered Netherlands boat in, in the Netherlands. And... Um, those would be the two I would look at. This is uh, this is what you get from big government. Big government just makes life miserable for you. And okay, I'm going to rant on the EU. You guys in the EU, you're not doing yourselves any favors by having a full another level of bureaucracy to run your life for you. And this is a perfect example of that. All right, I'm off my soapbox. All right, that's it for questions. That's it for today's emails. If you have any thoughts, suggestions, or comments or questions, write me, franz1 at medsailor.com, or use the contact form at the website. If you want to do me a big favor, you could become a Patreon of the podcast. I have a few listeners out there that are already patrons, and I'm looking for more. If you have some spare change that you could throw my way once in a while, please sign up at patreon.com backslash medsailor. And one more thing, if you like the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you could take the time to write a review of the podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast directory. All right, let's get on to today's episode. I'm on Skype with Josie Tucci. Josie is the Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Moorings and Sunsail. And Josie, it's been a long time that I've tried to get somebody from Moorings or Sunsail on the podcast. I called several years ago and tried to reach out to somebody, and I never had any luck. But it was fairly easy to get you to uh, to come on the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm, it's a pleasure. It's great to have you on here. Now, in one of your emails, you told me that you sailed out of, I think, I Agena. Corfu, and where else have you sailed out of? Yeah, Dubrovnik. Yeah, for the last four years, actually sailed out of the Med pretty much every every springtime, May, May or June time. I love it down there. It's great. Now, I've sailed out of Dubrovnik, well, for several years, and I've come to rely on your base manager in the past for help in finding spare parts for my engine. So you, to me, the sun sail base there in the Dubrovnik was a great source of information and, and assistance in the past. Yeah, that, w- that would be our base manager, Keith Harvey. He's a great guy. Lots of experience, super helpful. Our customers rave about him. Yeah, uh, is, is he the Australian well, guy? He is. Yep. Yeah, we're very lucky to have him, yeah. Yep, okay, good. So I'll be going back. Uh, actually, I leave Friday to head over there again. So I may run into him again over there. 
I hope I don't need any services, but if I do, that's they they use you took over the workshop of the mechanic that used to be in the marina, and now that's one of your storage facilities and your parts facilities. I haven't, I haven't, I mean, I've walked by it, haven't had the uh, good fortune to have to rummage around in there at all yet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, you don't have an old boat. (laughs) All your boats are new. Yeah, I took them in my, uh, I took them in my, Oh, something last year, and they said, "Oh, yeah, this is off the Yanmar three GM thirty F. We always had problems with this, and this is how we dealt with it." And he, I mean, it, without even saying anything, they recognized the part. <laughs> well, okay, yeah, these guys, cool. these guys know what they're doing. So Love anyway, experience. yeah, let's talk about what your job is at the Moorings and how you ended up where you're at. Yes, so I head up uh, the sales and marketing teams globally for the Moorings and sister brand Sunsail. Um, And I started with the business 19 years ago, moved to the U.S. in 2001. Uh, Previously, I was working for a boat builder in France, and prior to that, a sailing school in France. So it's been an interesting journey, but I was brought on board to uh, look after the Moorings yacht sales marketing. So that's our program whereby owners can purchase a boat in the fleet and then we manage the boat for them and they earn guaranteed revenues and have no cost to worry about so that's a that's a great program and now i focus mostly on the on the charter vacations the holiday side of things for our customers globally all right so what does that entail does that entail all the marketing the published marketing the brochures that go out the internet website what does that entail Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, things have changed a lot, of course, in 20 years. You know, it used to be all about um, <clears throat> the, the nascent websites that we were running and uh, the brochure was always a, a big piece of the action. Those are still really important channels. But now we have, you know, search engine optimization and pay-per-click advertising and social media, which is really becoming a huge avenue. It's Actually, it's, it's, it's totally different because what's so great about marketing now is if you put good content out that people are interested in that's helpful and useful – you know, that's how they come to find you as opposed to having to uh, sort of throw out ads that basically interrupt people all day long, which, um, you know, we're all getting off put by that. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a much better world marketing now. Now, are you an avid sailor yourself then? I am. Yeah, I learned to sail in France whilst working, uh, doing an internship at the sailing school. I was out in my, my, very, my last year of my degree in France and then... Um, uh, spent a few years doing quite a few sort of deliveries and races around um, northern France and northern Spain, and then moved over to the U.S. and have been sailing Snipes, which is a, a two-man design that was born here in St. Pete, actually. And um, quite a bit of cruising. I, I try, I, we're very fortunate at the moorings and Sunsail. We have uh, up to two weeks of employee use annually, so I, uh, I make the most of that. So every employee at the moorings gets to go charter a boat for two weeks? Yeah, yeah, they have up to two weeks' use, complimentary. So it's a really an amazing employee benefit that we have, yeah. That's sort of like airline travel for the airline employees, isn't it? It's, it's pretty cool, yeah. And our sales teams, um, also we send them on familiarization trips uh, every year. So most of our team have visited multiple destinations already. So we have some really good... Destination knowledge, that's really helpful for customers, obviously, yeah. It's, it's, it's great. It's what keeps us all here and, and happy. <laughs> so how much of the history of the company do you know? Well, I, uh, I joined the Moorings in 2001, and Charlie Carey and, and Ginny Carey were not running the business at that time, but I did have the good fortune to meet Charlie before he passed at our 35th anniversary, which was... Um, 15 years ago, and we had a big party in the BVI. We had just reopened the Moorings Village, which was a, a, a new area with uh, waterfront shops and restaurant and a pool, and it was very cool. And Charlie came down for that party and still still remembered everybody by their first names and got up and danced at the party. So, you know, that heritage of, of the Careys is something that we hold pretty dearly, and uh, we're celebrating our 50th anniversary this year, so it's all the more all the more relevant, yeah. And then on the Sunsail side, I worked um, with the UK teams on and off for many years as well. And and Sunsail's heritage in the in the UK market and and flotilla sailing, notably where you have groups of boats sailing together, is is really fantastic. So I sail with the Sunsail brand in the Med, 
typically on manor hulls and I sail with the moorings on big catamarans in the Caribbean and that's kind of how I like to how I like to sail. Ooh, okay. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you a little bit of history which you may be familiar with or you may not. Uh, years ago, um, oh geez, probably probably about 25 years ago, I chartered a boat. It may be a little longer than that. I may, I chartered a boat from a company called South Pacific Yacht Charters, which was started by a guy by the name of Lynn Leisure, who served a mission, a LDS mission, in uh, in Tahiti, and he saw that there might be an opportunity to set up a charter company, and he went and set up a charter company in Raiatea. And cool. so I went down there and, and sailed on his boat, and later on, it was bought by the Moorings. Right. Okay. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> At some point, it feels like everybody's worked for the Moorings in the industry. You know, um, there's some pretty famous brokers in the U.S. that uh, the founders of which worked for Charlie back in the day. And uh, most of our competitors actually worked for the Moorings previously as well. So they learned, uh, they learned their business uh, at the moorings, which is fun. Yeah. All right. So I've had se- several clients that have had uh, dealings with uh, Sunsail primarily because that's my area. And that's you seem to have a very strong presence in the Mediterranean under the Sunsail brand and not so much under the moorings brand. But I've had uh, several of my listeners charter boats from Sunsail. And uh, I talked to one Gary Harris just actually last week. And he said, oh, yeah, we sailed, for, we chartered from them several times. And we always had a, a great experience. So from what good. I've seen, you've got, uh, you've got a pretty good reputation. A lot, of our, a lot of my listeners are sailors. They may own their own boat. A lot of them may have, may have never sailed, and they aspire to sailing. So talk, talk them through, if you can, what they could expect if they charter from Sunsail or Moorings. Okay. Well, I mean, our, our main goal is really to make the experience as easy and hassle-free as possible. So uh, one of the options I always recommend to to guests that maybe this is their first time sailing uh, outside of their home cruising area or they've just recently become uh, licensed to uh, to sail. And in the Med, you do need um, the equivalent of a ICC, the International Certificate of Competency, or Day Skipper or, or equivalent. Um, but Flotilla is a great way to experience a whole new cruising area um, and feel kind of secure in the knowledge that you've got uh, you've got some really good support around you. So Flotilla basically has a Sunsail lead boat with a uh, skipper, an engineer, and a hostess on board. And their job is to do uh, help help with the um, onboarding of the customers on the boats. But also every day they do a briefing. They also do some social activities. But in the morning, it's great because you get up, you go to the briefing, they talk about the weather, they give you some options for lunch stops, give you some options for uh, different restaurants, that kind of thing. Um, advice on, you know, how much dockage might be, uh, different itineraries. So I, I've done that several times myself when sailing in the Med, and I really like it. Plus, you get the whole social scene of, of sailing with, uh, you know, other boats and you meet up in the evening. Now, what I often do as well is I skip off for a couple of days and do my own thing with my friends and then rejoin the flotilla group later so it's super flexible but you know if there's an issue with the boat you've got the engineer on board who will jump on and take a look at it for you you've got the skipper who's going to help out with uh itinerary questions and then you've got the hostie who uh is always up for organizing you know rum punch or gin and tonics or something so so that's good it's very social yeah that's my that's one way we make it easy i would say on the sun side for the guests who are thinking about doing it for the first time. But even if you're going bare boat, doing it on your own, um, we have a, a pretty thorough boat briefing and a chart briefing before departure as well. So you get a good sense of what the week's itinerary can look like. Options for weather, you know, depending on if it's super windy or if it's going to be light light conditions, we'll, you know, they'll customize the, the itinerary options, give you give you some ideas, and then, you know, make recommendations on great places to eat, um, really how to experience the local culture and the food. So, yeah, I just got back from a week um, departing from Athens. We did the Saronic, and I highly recommend that. It was fantastic food, and Greece is is really affordable when it comes to things like dockage. So uh, I think Greece is going to make a big comeback again after Croatia having been so popular for, for quite a few years recently. Yeah, now the flotillas... Um... 
so you do have flotilla charters out of out of Athens. I see them a lot over in the Ionian side, but I didn't know you also had them out of Athens. Do you? Yeah, actually, we don't run flotilla out of, out of Athens. We run them out of um, out of Lefkas. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, so the the last trip I did actually was the first med trip that was bareboat uh, bareboat trip. So we we took a Sunsail forty one monohull out three cabin with uh, four of us and had a, had a blast. It was great. So where where do you run flotillas from? So you said Levkus. Uh, do you do it out of anywhere in Croatia? Yeah, we run a couple of different flotilla options out of Levkus, and we also run flotillas out of both Agana, which is uh, uh, Marina Agana, which is split. You fly into split in Croatia, and also out of Dubrovnik, um, also Croatia. So there's there's quite a few different itineraries, depending on if you want to go, you know, the kind of things you want to see. The itineraries have different features, such as the waterfalls at yeah, Kirka, or you can go, you know, southeast towards Havar, and there's great food and wine itineraries to enjoy. So lots of lots of different options, yeah. Hmm, okay, I didn't know you did flotillas out of Croatia because I, I it's, it's obvious when you're doing them in the Ionian side, but I've never noticed it being obvious in, in Croatia. So maybe I just haven't been to the same place as you guys are going. That might be it. Yeah, we have. Uh, yeah, we have quite a few different itineraries. I mean, in Ghana, we do uh, we do a couple of um, one week. We do three different one week itineraries and a two week itinerary. And then from Dubrovnik, we have uh, same thing. We have a couple of uh, two week itineraries and a and a couple of one week itineraries. Likewise, from from Levkas, you can do one week or two week. Yeah. So on a flotilla, uh, I guess it depends on the size of the boat, but is it often you're on the boat with uh, two or three other couples? Uh, so generally speaking, when you're on flotilla, you're going to be chartering a full yacht, but you're going to be in the company of other boats who are following a similar the similar route. But we do have an option for buy the cabin flotilla, which means you can charter just the cabin, and there's a skipper on board. We provide breakfast. And then, um, you know, that gives you a way to enjoy the flotilla without having to charter the whole boat. Oh, okay. So the flotillas I was thinking of is you would get on with uh, two or three other couple, or let's say two other couples that are total strangers, but that's not the case in, in Sunsail then. Yeah, well, typically guests are chartering the full yacht with or without a skipper. Um, it's kind of a, it's a great in-between option for those, like I was saying before, who maybe have only sailed in home waters or have recently become... Uh, qualified to sail is the next best step as you take, you know, take your own boat and then join that flotilla. And even though you're independent, you still have all of that support there. But for those who are just looking for a cabin, we do have that option. And we, we run both of those options in the, in the British Virgin Islands as well. You guys are all over the world now. You also charter out of uh, Thailand, don't you? We do. We do. Yeah. I was very fortunate to travel there. Um, couple of years ago and that's that's out of Phuket the base there and that's that's a beautiful cruising ground we have um both sail and power options there power catamarans and you have to research the area a little bit before you go because if you head north towards James Bond Island the water up there tends to be a little murkier there's more more river activity but if you head you know south and you can do all on a week's itinerary if you head south that's where all the beautiful sparkling uh Clear water is uh, south of PP Island, and it's there's a uh, it's fantastic destination. To- totally different from anything else I've ever seen. You know, it's almost prehistoric, um, but great food. You know, I love spicy food, so the Thai food is very good. Yeah, yeah, I like the I like Thai food. Now, that I when I got your email back, it said Travelopia. I've never heard of Travelopia, so I guess now moorings and sunsail is part of another company called Travelopia, right? That's right. That's right. So we were part of TUI Travel PLC, which is the world's largest recreational travel company. And we had been owned by TUI for quite a few years. And um, we were sold by them with uh, sister brands that are all focused on luxury experiential travel. And we were sold by TUI as a group, and that group is called Travelopia. And so we have, I think, 37 brands total, which include things like private jet tours around the world with TCS. We have uh, Polar Expedition Cruising with our sister company, Quark, um, and a number of other different uh, walking and hiking type, type trips. But we are 
yeah, we're the we're the yachting business of the group. Okay, do you cross sail between the uh, different divisions? Um, it's something we do on a very limited level, but um, something we'll probably be working on more as as we evolve. We were we were sold by Tui to KKIR, which is an American investment fund. You may be. Uh, mm-hmm. Familiar with Col- and one of Colbert, the... Kravis, and Roberts is what it used to. That's be right. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're putting a lot of money into our business, which is fabulous for us. New fleet uh, investments in our British Virgin Islands base and other bases around the world, and also a, a technology transformation that is going to enable us to to pers- better personalize and customize communications with customers. To again, like I was saying at the very beginning, about you know, it's all about providing helpful and useful content to customers. That's our strategy really going forward so that we we only send communications out if they're relevant and timely and and useful as opposed to the mass mailing that you kind of have, have have maybe historically seen. So cross-selling between between the brands, if it if it looks like a customer would be interested in in a in a different product, in a jet tour or a polar cruise. Yeah, why not? That's something that we would definitely be looking at. But we don't. We do it on a very limited scale at this point. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was looking through my statistics for this podcast, and it, it's about uh, my demographics. Fifty-six percent of my listeners are forty-five to fifty-four years old, and about forty-three percent are fifty-five to sixty-four years old, and sixty-eight point one percent are men, and thirty-eight point two percent are women. And that 38.2% sort of surprised me. I thought it would be actually less than that. But a few years ago, I was on, I was sailing through Greece and I sailed to the island of, is it Poros? On the Saronic Gulf. And we backed into a slip and in the slip next to us was a woman and a full female crew. And it turns out this woman (laughs) was teaching these other women how to sail. So that she was taking them out and teaching them. And I thought, well, that's a much better way of doing it than having a man teach a woman because because uh, they're, uh, I think, probably better adapted for teaching women themselves and men. So do you have yeah, anything? Yeah. Do you have anything for like that for women? Do you have uh, lessons that you present specifically for women or men or or something like that? Yeah. Interesting idea. I am. Um, I actually took a girls trip uh to Palma, Mallorca last September. So it is fun just being girls on on board for sure. We we have a sailing school in the UK um that offers women only classes and we do uh partner in the US with offshore sailing school. Um and I believe offshore have some women only dates as well. But we don't really um from a from a charter vacation perspective, we don't have any women only or gender specific only weeks um we've done flotillas that are family focused or singles focused we had a rum flotilla itinerary at one point that was adults only um so we we do we do special interest flotilla uh weeks and we do have sailing school partners that can offer women only instruction as well but um you know i've taught a number of guys to sail who've been coming with me sailing. And I think, you know, it's just getting people involved on board. You you don't need qualifications to sail in the Caribbean, currently at least. And um, it's, you know, it's really more about the experience and getting good habits and good practices as, as well as learning, as well as learning the basics, of course. But um, yeah, I mean, we try to make it inclusive for everybody, right? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah, when I sailed in the South Pacific, and that was years ago, I had to write a resume of my sailing experience but I didn't have to have any sort of certification. And then later on when I chartered out of the BVIs, I, or actually out of the U.S. Virgin Islands, uh, it was the same thing. I did not have to have any, any certifications. I just had to tell them my experience. And, you know, my attitude was, that, you know, my experience was the yacht charter companies wanted to charter yachts. So they didn't want to put barriers in my way to charter the yacht. If I damage the yacht, then I'd be <laughs> be paying for it or paying for the insurance ahead of time. But yeah. uh, when I chartered a boat out of um, first time out of Kalamaki Harbor in Athens, I I had I did have my six pack license at the time, 
and I didn't know it, but they weren't going to let me take the boat out without a captain unless I had a six-pack, unless I had some sort of license at that time. And because I did have it, they said, okay, go ahead, take the boat. That was my first experience with having to have any sort of a license. And I'm sort of of two minds of this. I'm a libertarian, so I think, well, you know, it's just another barrier to entry. And then the other side of me says, well, I've anchored many places from these guys that come in, throw their anchor overboard, put uh, put 30 feet of chain on 30 feet of water and go start getting drunk. And then when they start uh, dragging anchor in the middle of the night, I have to deal with these people. Yeah. So I'm some of two minds on this thing. But do you, on your flotillas, do you give certifications for any of the... Um, of the licenses? We do have a couple of options for flotillas in the med. Um, We have a flotilla called Zero to Hero, which is going to give you day skipper at the end of the week. Um, And we also have a power course, actually, that we do uh, in Corfu to uh, learn how to drive a power catamaran and get certified for that. So in the med, you do need to be qualified. So, um, there is a, an agreement between most of the Mediter- Mediterranean countries that they will accept an international certificate of confidence or co- of competence, sorry, um, or the IPC proficiency uh, certificate of proficiency. So, um, day skipper is usually sort of the, the RYA minimum that you would need, but the ICC is kind of a, a well-known equivalent for those as well. But it's true in the Caribbean, you don't need. You don't need a license now. But we have, um, yeah, our partnership with Offshore Sailing School in the U.S. and Sunsail's own sailing school in the U.K., as well as some flotilla options, which I would recommend going on to uh, sunsail.com to check out the details because they are um, often specific dates. All right. Let's talk about the costs and the high seasons for the various areas. So in the Mediterranean, the high season starts, I would assume, probably May 1st and goes till about the middle of September. Is that about right? Actually, it's a little longer. So we kick off in April, which is going to be a little a little chillier and, and more risky. We do have, um, yeah, we have a lot more groups who are sort of sporty or they're, you know, they're doing mileage or, or they're learning to sail who come early in the season. But we do start from April and we actually run all the way through the end of August. Believe it or not, the um, September is now considered very much peak peak season and uh, sells out almost entirely and so october is becoming the new uh, sort of end of season month interestingly but the you know the weather is good it's not as predictable of course as it would be june through september but yeah we're seeing a much longer season now so is that for the entire mediterranean yes yep that is true yeah palma might be a little shorter being a bit further north but um uh Nonetheless, we are opening, you know, April to October. Very, very, you know, some two, two to three weeks difference, perhaps between Greece, Croatia, and and Mallorca. But so in October, the end of October, do you shut down the bases for the winter? Then we do, we do. That's when all the boats get their, you know, scheduled maintenance, and uh, the teams get a bit of a break after very intense nonstop summer summer holiday as well. So yeah, the bases do close over the winter. Now, the boats, let's say all the boats up in Dubrovnik, do they stay in the water year-round or do you pull them out of the water? We usually pull them out. Okay, yep. all right. So that boat yard up there is going to be pretty full at the uh, during the winter, and then they're probably oh, the yeah. first boats to go back in in the, uh, in the spring then too, aren't they? Correct, yeah. I think that's a pretty good assessment. <laughs> <laughs> do you put full covers on the boats or did they just sit there uh, in, in the open? Well, that's a great question. I actually, I, I don't know the answer to that. I, um, you know, the, the weather in the Med, it can snow. Uh, and I have seen pictures of the boats with snow on. I don't, I don't recall whether they were covered or not, I'll be honest with you. Yeah. But obviously we strip them off of all the sails and, and uh, they get stripped down for the winter for sure. Well, in Dubrovnik this year, I had a full cover on my boat and I got an email from the marina saying the big windstorm came through and tore up the cover and of course what it did is ah. it, it tore up the uh the stitching that held the zippers on that's what gave out not the material but the zippers gave out and, and not the zippers themselves but the stitching that deteriorates in the sunlight tore off 
And I said, okay, well, she sent me a picture of it, and I said, okay, that's fine. Just mitigate it as much as possible. And then I had a surveyor go up to my boat and said, we had 90-mile-an-hour winds coming through the marina last weekend. You need to get that cover off of there. So that marina is is notorious for very high winds. Very high winds in the winter, okay. so uh, you probably don't. In that case, my assumption is we don't put covers on No, <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, and mine has been rolled up and put inside, so that's the, that's, that's the first time I've had it that bad. Um, and I was there putting my boat out of the water a few years ago, and a big windstorm came through and literally picked up 55-gallon drums and threw them in the air. So it's a, it's a very windy. Yeah, it's it really be, unusual. Yeah, it can be very windy, and this was in early September when I was putting the boat up. So anyway, all right. So what else should we cover with this interview? It's great to have you as a guest, and I just want to make sure I cover all my bases. What do I need to cover that you don't think I have? Well, you did ask a question about qualifications, and um, uh, we do have a resume process that you, you mentioned earlier as well that we we do ask guests to complete. So um, you know, we look to understand how many weeks of experience a guest has as the skipper on board, um, whether they have, you know, uh, crewing experience in what kind of conditions and on, on what kind of size boats. So all of that experience is part of the evaluation as to, you know, what destination we would recommend and what boat type you would be qualified to sail as well. So uh, there is there is that part to the to the process. But we have cruising guides that we give as well to all of our guests. So they're, they're pretty thorough. Um, they include itinerary options, uh, details around sort of restaurants, currency, all sorts of useful information, as well as med, med mooring, which, um, which is new for many U.S. customers, you know, having to, uh, to pick up the lazy lines or to drop an anchor and back into a, a town key, depending on whether it's Croatia or or Greece, it can be quite different, but um, usually good good holding, and I've I've really not had problems with that. And I and it's amazing how helpful the people, the uh, taverna owners and and people on docks are, because everybody everybody goes through that when they go to a town key. So there's usually someone on hand. And again, with the flotilla, you don't even have to worry about that because the crew gets in first, and they're already guiding you into your slip and giving you a little bit of a helping hand with the lazy lines and so on. So. That's uh, that's another good good thing to know. Yeah. yeah. Now you, I know when I chartered in in the South Pacific, uh, Lynn Leisure put together a very detailed cruising guide for that area, and in, including special charts and anchorage areas. And I'm sure the Moorings, when they took it over, did the same thing. What I was wondering, and I, and I actually got Lynn to give me some of his cruising guides because I thought, well, maybe I'll go sailing down there sometime. But you, is your, are your cruising guides proprietary to your customers and your company? Yeah, so the cruising, so when I talk about a cruising guide, um, it's really a welcome guide, right? Mm-hmm. So it'll, it'll give you tips on berthing, fishing and snorkeling, suggested marinas. Um, good, good local um, knowledge. Contact information yeah. and itineraries, mm-hmm. yeah, but it wouldn't be, you couldn't use it as a navigation tool. It's right. more of a... Uh, cruising, you know, guide. But obviously, on the boats, we also have the official cruising guides of the region. So whether that's, um, you know, whichever destination that might be, would be whatever the published, the recommended published cruising guide would also be on board, as well as what we provide that's proprietary. Yeah. Yeah, I was wondering. You know, the reason I asked that is because I think sailors like myself always like to get as much information of the areas we're going to and. Some places you get that are are publications like Cruising Association put out uh, brochures and books and so forth. And, uh, yeah, I would think, and I don't know if this would be of interest, that I would think that if you publish some of those guides, you would have a a ready market for sailors that are going over there that may or may not be chartering for moorings. Is it something you've considered? Oh, well, that would be a whole different industry Mm -hmm. that we would be getting into. But actually, with... um, uh, with the with the Caribbean, we do actually license the cruising guides for all of the bases that we operate in. So we provide an electronic version of those cruising guides, uh, the Simon Scott um, published guides. So we, we do actually do that for our Caribbean destinations. We don't have a publishing 
rights for any of the other guides outside of the Caribbean. But, um, yeah, interesting idea. I mean, it, it's a lot of responsibility in it and it's a lot of work. And there's some, some really great, great people who, who dedicate their lives just to doing that as well. So, But interesting idea. Yeah. I mean, you've already done the work, so it's just another marketing uh, opportunity or another sales opportunity, I would think. So. Well, that's true. That's true. I mean, these cruising guides do definitely provide a lot of information when it comes to, the, you know, we explain what facilities are on shore and where to get water, fuel, that kind of things, things to look out for. Um, not quite as extensive. They don't show, you know, charts and so on. But what I love to do is, you know, I've got a number of different apps that I use for weather and uh, Navionics, for example, for the charts and um one one app that a lot of our customers have enjoyed using this summer is um, uh, I'm gonna have to look at my phone to remember the name of it. Hang, um, two seconds, let me look at it up for you. It is. Um, <laughs> let's see. The one I loaded up was called Navily not too long ago. Oh, Nebo. That's Nebo. It. Nebo. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Nemo. So it's a tracking oh. app. N E B O. Yeah. Okay. And um, our, our customers get it. Uh, get it free on the water uh, if they're doing flotilla and um, basically you can see the other boats on flotilla and it tracks your your journey and you can uh, add photos and, and share that journey record with um, with friends and so on as well so it's pretty neat now you've pretty much covered the world with charter bases already are there some areas that you haven't covered that you're moving into Like I don't know if you do anything uh... out of Fiji or I, I, yeah, we actually have a base in Tonga. Tonga, right. Which is uh, uh -huh. just, just up the road. Yep, that was Lynn Leisure's <laughs> and, company um, as well that you bought. He had one there as well. Oh, okay. yeah. We've uh, we've been in Tonga for many years, mm -hmm. actually, with our partner, Shane Walker, over there. And um, it's it, I, I briefly sailed there for, for a couple of days. It's a beautiful, beautiful destination. Um, we are looking at, at other destinations, well, throughout, really, but... Um, Asia is definitely an area of interest for us as well, Indonesia and the Philippines. But it is a tricky destination to, well, there's access is one thing and then infrastructure locally is another. And just stability of the economy and politically can make, can make decisions like that quite hard. We like to, we like to function in areas where, um, you know, there's a good solid infrastructure in place that the, cru the cruising grounds are still pristine. Um, so it, it takes some searching. But we are going to be announcing a new destination probably in the next few weeks, which I will I'll let you know about when that's ready to go. Yeah, I've always looked at the offshore of Myanmar and thought, wow, look at all those islands off of there. That would be delightful. That looks amazing. Yeah, and, I, and I've searched out the ability to charter, and I guess there's one or two companies that will take you up from from Thailand up into those islands, but... That's all I found. And there really, at least the last time I checked, there wasn't really no infrastructure there set up for it. And politically, you don't know how that's going to go. But if that's it, if that's the location, that would be interesting. But I've always, you know, I, I didn't see any opportunity. Well, I saw plenty of opportunity, but no nobody that was doing it in Myanmar. So it's kind of... Yeah, we'll actually be looking a little bit closer to home than that, but mm -hmm. uh, still a different continent. So, um I'll definitely let you know when that's ready to announce. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Josie, anything else we should cover? Uh, um, I don't think so, other than to say, you know, there's there's lots of different ways to do this. We have, you know, the Power Catamaran fleet, which um, we're seeing a lot of popularity with power. I mean, you know, the, let's face it, the power boat market is is uh, uh, still a growing market, whereas the sailboat market is a little bit more mature, I would say. And in terms of boat ownership, you know, there's 12 million boat owners in the U.S. versus a million sailboat owners so just in in terms of size of that market we're finding that our power fleet which we have about 45 boats in the bvi and and a growing fleet in most of our med bases we have power as well now and um that's great for people who you know want to do more go for go further see more but may also have uh, time crunch and then the other option that's i you know think is a great way to introduce people to the world of sailing is are crude yachts, so it's an all-inclusive uh, catamaran with captain and chef on board and a, and a steward as well on our 5800. So, you know, I for us, it's about expanding the world of sailing to people who maybe didn't grow up sailing or who, who are looking for a really interesting 
way to experience different cultures and destinations that you just don't get if you're staying in a hotel in one spot for a week. Um, so, yeah, that's 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 uh, an area for us that's also growing that I think is really interesting. Okay. Actually, two other topics came to my mind as, as you were talking. I want to talk about your boat purchase program and your boat sales program. Okay. So you apparently worked in that for a while, so you probably have great expertise in that. So talk to us about somebody um, comes over and they say, wow, I sure like this. I'd, I'd like to own my own boat, but I don't want to maintain it and do all the other nonsense that goes on with it. So talk to us about your program for financing boats and putting them into the charter fleet. Sure. So the majority of boats in our fleet are actually privately owned, which means we um, we rotate our fleet every year about 20% of the fleet is renewed. And so we have new boats coming into different destinations, different bases that stay in the ownership program for about five years. And so we always have a selection of boats that are available for sale. And we have um, owners who are very interested in the program because when you buy a boat with the moorings or sun sail, you get reciprocal use at the other destinations that the moorings and sun sail offer, reciprocal use of a sister ship. Um, and during the time, the life of the charter, so you will finance the boat yourself and then sign an, a management agreement with us. And that's when we start paying guaranteed fixed income, which is nice to count on. And we take care of all of the costs, whether it's maintenance, dockage, uh, spare parts, etc. We handle all of that, too. So it's it's a great program. It's um, it's a great way to sail for free for five years. <laughs> 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 yeah. Now, now you say you finance the boat yourself, but do you have lenders that you work with where they go through these lenders? We do. We have preferred lenders that we can absolutely put uh, put the owners in touch with as well. And of course, we we take care of we can take care of selling the boat at the end of the program through our brokerage branches as well. So you know, we have owners that roll over into new boats. We have owners that take their boats home with them. They have maybe a, a long-term project to sail around the world or something like that. And then we have others who uh, who just, you know, sell it through the brokerage arm and they move on to something else. So, so in a traditional boat or a, t- a typical boat, let's say that they put it in the charter fleet for five years and and it's, it's, a, it's a revenue sharing agreement between you and them, or is it a guaranteed payment to them? What, what How does that work out? Yeah, the majority of our destinations are fixed guaranteed income payments. So no matter how well the economy doing or the charter business is doing, that owner is going to have a guaranteed payment. And that was something that when Hurricane Irma hit the Caribbean uh, in 2017, that was something our owners were very grateful for because we continued paying uh, the owner payments on all of that fleet uh, pending, you know, the surveying process that had to happen then. And I I believe that was not the case with other uh, variable type programs and so on. So, um, you know, I think the fixed income program is, is the best one out there on the market. But there are some destinations where due to financing restrictions, there may be other alternatives as well. And I would suggest, you know, having a chat with the, the ownership guys. would be happy to put you in touch with them if you've got more detailed oh, questions. Oh, maybe that would be another interview to talk to somebody on that because that might be yeah. a, an interesting topic for for a podcast in the future. Yeah, that would be something. Make sure you have somebody reach out to me on that uh, in September when I get back from sailing. So Okay, we'll do. Yeah, uh, so that would be interesting to me. Now, the sales, I actually interviewed Jeff Whitmer on the podcast probably about a month ago, and he had actually bought one of your catamarans from your base in Lefkas through your sales program. And he talked to me about his experience uh, buying the boat, he was actually looking for a boat up in uh, northern Croatia because there's so many boats that are being turned over in Croatia. But then he got a call from Sunsail, said, come down and look at this catamaran. And that's the boat he uh, ended up buying was one out of your base in, in Lefkas. So um, typically, I don't know if we can get into numbers on this, and maybe you can't, it maybe be better to go to that next interview to get these details. But if you have it off the top of your head, give it to me. If not, just say, I don't really have that information. But if somebody comes in and buys a boat, and let's say it's a $200,000 boat or whatever the number is, after five years, how much of that principal typically 
would have been paid down. And of course, interest rates are so low that a lot of those fixed payments could be going down to paying that down the principal. Because I assume it's on a just like a, a house mortgage, you have a certain period of time you have to pay off this loan. Do you uh, do you have any details on something like that? Um, I don't really have that information, but I think the uh, the value of the boat after that period of time would be around you know the sixty sixty five percent mark, um, and it really depends on the duration of the financing. So whether it's a fifteen year mortgage or or twenty five years, um, different markets, different. Um, Different durations as well in the in the, the Europeans will have much shorter financing programs, so it depends on the down payment. Yeah, I, I guess I guess it really depends on if you want to pay it off fast or slow too, or if you want to have free cash flow to, to maybe pay for your vacation too during that period of time. Exactly. So I guess it's all about the financing is what it amounts to then. So. <laughs> okay, so um, the boat. So you're saying basically when they come off charter. You can expect the boat to be worth about sixty-five percent of what you what you paid for. Is that pretty much what you sell the boats for when they're coming off charter? Uh, we did have a program, and again, we'd have to check with the yacht sales guys. That was a guaranteed buyback program, and oh. I think that was roughly the percentage um, that was given at the time. But I think that program may have expired and was a while back. So we should we should get the up to date information from the guys for you, which I can do. Okay, Great. I can do it easily. They're in the same office. All right. Well, one other thing I did want to ask you now, you know, these questions just popped to my mind is I had, I, I once uh, was tied up to a boat in Greece and uh, they had actually chartered the boat for a full two month period of time, but they got a great deal from it. And it wasn't from your company or one of the major charter companies. It was probably from an individual or something like that. But what's the longest charters, and do do the cost of the charters go down the longer you choose to charter a boat? Is there something like that? Yeah, we do. Well, we do. Uh, most of our charters are based on daily rates, and we do sometimes have deals where you know you can charter for ten days, only pay for eight. Um, special offers like that that happen, and occasionally we have. Uh, long-term charter discounts if you're chartering for two or three weeks, for example. But I think when it comes to, you know, we have actually had a couple of customers that have chartered boats for a couple of months at a time. And uh, we are always open to a negotiation. <laughs> there's no, I wouldn't say there's a set formula for that. If they want to charter for a month over Christmas and New Year's Eve, uh, that's going to be less negotiable than wanting to sell for a month in uh, October in Mallorca, for example, so um, yeah, it's gonna de- it's gonna depend on the, on the time. But we do we do often have long term charter discounts uh, periodically, and uh, free days of sailing periodically as well. What percentage of your charter fleets are uh, uh, are chartered out? I mean, you know, when I go into Dubrovnik and the charter fleet is left, there might be one or two boats sitting at the dock that might not have been chartered. Do you what sort of a rate of chartering do you do? Do you typically charter eighty percent of the fleet, or seventy percent, or ninety percent? Do you have any numbers like that? Well, in the med, yeah, in the med and peak season, we are looking at you know eighty percent, eighty ninety percent occupancy uh, through the med season. It's extremely intensive, yeah. Uh, whereas in the Caribbean, it's much more spread out, so we'd be we'd be looking at much lower occupancy levels than that. But we we have set weeks that are taken out of charter for owner use and for maintenance as well. So we have up to 12 weeks dedicated time in the boat schedule for maintenance, whether that's, uh, you know, uh, turnaround maintenance or or scheduled monthly or quarterly or annual maintenance as well. So you would never have 100% utilization on a boat during its working season. Just something interesting to, to know. Yeah, to think yeah. about that. And I see these charter fleets come in, and I see all the employees. And I don't know if these are contract employees or if they are uh, employees of Moines or if they're by-the-hour employees. But, I mean, it's like the, there's a swarming on the boats to clean them up, to get the sheets off, to get the bedding off, the towels off, to get them all cleaned, and and then back on really within a two-day period of time for the next uh, – the next guest to arrive back on the boat. How many employees do you guys employ? Uh, we have about 800 employees worldwide. Mm-hmm. 
Um, depending on the roles, you know, there may be seasonal workers that, that come in to, uh, to support the, the full-time staff as well. So it will depend on the destination. Um, and obviously, we, we are very uh, compliant with local employment laws. So we, you know, we're very, um, we adhere very much to, to what the local regulations are. And we try and provide great working conditions for everybody. Things like skippers, sometimes some skippers are full-time employees. Others, we may work with uh, a skipper uh, house, so to speak, to, to recruit skippers as well, depending on on seasonality. But we, uh, yeah, we have a pretty pretty big staff at uh, different times, depending on destinations, yeah. Do you have a hard time finding skippers or they, are they easy to find? They can be difficult to find, depending on the destination. And we we have some really popular skippers that are full-time and are requested by by guests, and you know they're they're full time employees with us, and then we supplement that with um, with with skippers that may be on rotation that we've you know that we use sporadically or that we work with a with an agency to procure. So in the med, uh, skipper agencies are quite a popular method. Uh, in the Caribbean, we tend to have a roster of skippers that we that we know well that we use over and over again. Okay. All right, Josie, again, I guess I keep coming up with more questions, but that's all right. That's why it's a podcast. Thank you for coming on, and let's let's keep in touch, okay? Okay, well, I hope that was helpful. And, you know, anything that we can do together with yourself to, uh, to promote the world of sailing and get people out in the water is all good to me. Thanks. I'm going to try to enlist your help in finding me another sponsor for this podcast. I need to have probably three, possibly four sponsors for this podcast to make it a viable enterprise for me to continue uh, to, to continue putting out content. Again, it takes a tremendous amount of time to put out each episode. And I've done it as a passion over many years, but I would like to turn that into an actual profit-making business. So I'm going to ask you to consider who might be an appropriate sponsor for this podcast. And I put a new link in the menu bar at the website, medsailor.com, which is called Advertise. And I've put out my sponsor media kit. And if you know anybody who would be a good sponsor for this podcast, reach out to them for me or give me contact information for them and I will reach out to them myself. So first of all, in this media kit, I explain what the podcast is all about. Here's some statistics that you probably don't know and you may find interesting. The first podcast came out January 23rd, 2012. And since then, there have been about, well, with this, over 191 new episodes. As of last week, there's been over 416,000 downloads of the podcast. It's a worldwide podcast. The top countries that it reaches are the USA, Great Britain, and Australia. 56% of our listeners are 45 to 54 years old, and 43% are 55 to 64 years old. 68.1% of our listeners are men. And 38.2% are women. This is a wonderful community. I get emails from you, and I've made some good friends as a result of putting on this podcast, which is really what it's kept me putting these out for so many years. I consider every listener a friend of mine or a potential friend. And if you're ever in Salt Lake, make sure you look me up. So who might be interested in sponsoring this podcast? Well, basically any business that wants to target the highly affluent boating community. So here's a statistic. In 2016, the recreational boating market in the United States alone amounted to $36 billion. So who might be interested in sponsoring the podcast would be yacht charter companies. Perhaps Moines and Sunsail might be interested. Water sports apparel companies. Foul weather gear manufacturers. Boat equipment manufacturers, boat safety equipment manufacturers, sailmakers, boat accessory companies that make hats and eyeglasses, boat builders, travel agencies, or advertising agencies. Now, at that link at the website, I show what I'm going to be charging for ads and the terms. 
And if you're interested in helping me out, check out that link and share it with anybody you think might be interested in becoming a sponsor of this podcast. A big caveat, this podcast is not a marketing podcast. We will not accept any sponsor. The only sponsors that we will accept will be those who add value to you and that I'm willing to vouch for. We are not in the business of advertising. We are in the business of creating content for aspiring or real sailors. So if you have potential sponsors for this podcast, share with me their names or have them contact me. Again, use my direct email address, franz1 at medsailor.com. Thanks. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing.